But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did, again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you, and that our labours might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you, and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us, and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, we're continuing our series today in the book of 1 Thessalonians, thinking about the story of our faith not just individually, but communally as God's church, and also our place in God's wider story and how the big story of God's purposes in the world helps us understand our own stories of faith. We've been tracking through the Thessalonians stories and we've looked at the past of their story. Now we enter in this chapter into the present of their story and their current wrestles. And it's a a really interesting chapter of Paul's relationship with the Thessalonians. And what we see exposed in it is Paul's heart for them, his longing for them, his passion for them as people. And what's really interesting about this chapter is it tells us a lot about what it means to be God's people, what it really means to do community well. And that's a really interesting question right now, I think. A lot of people are talking about how this is a time when what we believe about community and friendship and society is being challenged and questioned by the experience we're going through. David Brooks talks about this in the moral of the the moral meaning of the plague in the New York Times. He talks about how already there's a shift of values coming to the world. We're forced to be intentional about keeping up our human connections. Relationships get forged tighter by the pressure of mutual dread. Everybody hungers for tighter bonds and deeper 
care. We're in this moment which is pressing on what we understand community and social life and relationship to be about. And uh, another thinker, Faye Alberti, in the, the conversation, wrote a really interesting piece. She's a, a researcher in about loneliness, about lack of community, about the modern epidemic of loneliness. And she talks about how actually the, the origin of community is a, it's a late Middle English word, and it's about this kind of give and take of obligation and a shared investment in the survival of a community and its worth. Uh, she goes on to talk about how actually in our post-industrial in individualistic societies, this meaning of community is lost. In the modern world, we say, well, life is about me and about me expressing who I am. That's expressive individualism. And we enter into social contracts with others as far as they help us be us. There's no common thing we do together. That's one of the reasons why relationships are so hard in the modern world. And she looks at, uh, Faye looks at the, what's happening around COVID and says, you know, there's a lot of things happening that are interesting, lots of kindness and good welfare. But she ultimately concludes that, you know, practices that we're seeing that are based on a sustained, engaged concern for the well-being of others will likely continue. Other invented tra traditions will evaporate. It's a really interesting comment, I think, of... You know, we, we kind of walk into this time and think, well, the world's changed and we won't be the same again. But she's saying, well, actually, if you want to come out differently, if you want to come out with a different vision of what community and relationship really means and really is about, then we need to have formed practices focused on a common good, on a common well-being of others. We have to leave behind our vision of community and take up a new one. And that's what Thessalonians will help us with today, I think. Paul, in this letter, and listen, he knows all about confinement. He knows all about absence from people that he loves. He spent his life often on the run, having planted a church and then needing to hurriedly leave, such is the story with the Thessalonians. He knows all about this. And what we see in this letter is in the midst of confinement and absence, we see Paul was passionate about people. And what Thessalonians today is inviting us, summoning us to take on that same passion for people and maybe to slightly adjust our vision of community and relationships, to take up some practices focused on the, the well-being of each other's faith, that we might be a different type of community. If you're someone watching today who's not a believer yet, you might be really interested in thinking, well, what does Christian community look like? What does it look like to build a way of life around Jesus? How is that different? Why might that be good? What I have today is four longings that Paul has in his passion about community, four longings that will instruct our longings today. The first one is this. First thing we see about Paul is that he longs to be finally together. With not just the Thessalonians, but all of God's people. Let's backtrack. I know we started in chapter 3 in the reading, but I skipped the last bit of chapter 2 because I want to talk about it this week. Uh, Paul says there, But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person or in thought, out of, an, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. What happened to Paul in Thessalonica is uh, persecution broke out. It was very fierce, very brutal. 
very heated, and he had to escape uh, overnight one night. He had to abandon them and leave the city. And don't you love the way he describes it, like being orphaned? It's worth being separated forcefully from someone when you really don't want to be. And then he talks about his intense longing and how he made every effort, verse 17, how he wanted to come to you. Suddenly, I, Paul, he's emphatic. I did. I really wanted to come and see you. In fact, the only thing that could stop me was Satan himself. We'll come back to Satan. He's mentioned a bit later in the passage. Paul speaks of this intense desire to be back with the Thessalonians. I don't know about you, but I have an intense desire to be you to be back in church while I'm preaching. I'm alone in church today preaching, if you can believe that. Uh, And I long to be back with you. I long to be in smaller groups again. I long to have more coffees with all of you. I have an intense desire for that. Maybe you have a desire to be back in community too. But what's interesting for me is what Paul's desire, what his longing to be together is actually based on. See how in verse 19 there's a four explaining What's above? It's an explanatory kind of conjunction. That's a big word to use. Sorry. Uh, You know, for what's the reason? For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? You see, what, what is in Paul's mind? What's in his heart? What, what build this intense longing to be back with the Thessalonians? It's not just so he can enjoy their company. It's not just so that he can feel more spiritually whole. What's in his mind's eye? He pictures being with Jesus one day and being with the Thessalonians too. And he's picturing the joy of seeing there, there with him. You see, Paul's heart was scattered all over the Mediterranean, in Corinth, in Berea, in Thessalonica, in Athens. He planted churches everywhere and then had to leave them. He longed to be back with all of them. And I think what, and later as he's imprisoned and confined and absent from all of them, he spends much of his Christian life out of church, What he longs for is not just to go back to them individually, although he tries to do that. He longs for the day when all of them will be together with Jesus, enjoying him and each other. See, he's longing to be finally together. There will be a day. There is a better gathering. And it's so helpful for us to remember that right now. You know, we're going to gather back to church, hopefully sometime soon. We don't really know yet, but we're longing for it. But when we get back together, it'll be different. Might feel deficient. Maybe small group feels deficient right now. Maybe even meeting with people just doesn't feel the same because you can't hug them. I think in these moments we can be trained to long for the better thing. To long for the final day when Jesus comes and all of his people will be around him. And the, the completeness of the joy of that day is what we're really longing for. You know, turn to the person next to you right now, or you know, send them a text, or write in the chat next to me. Just say to them, you know, it's really good to be with you today, but this is going to be so much better with Jesus. Look at them, say it to them. Come on, I'll give you a moment, because it's true. And though we should long to be together in church again, we need to long even more for the final day. 
of being that family around Jesus. And the more we long for that day, the more we'll actually long for each other. That's the secret to this whole chapter. Paul's love for people grows out of this great day he sees coming. The end of the story informs the present of the story. And that's not just an otherworldly longing either. It actually breeds a practical world concern. And that's what we see happening next. This longing to be with them on that final day breeds in him a longing to aid their threatened faith in the present. Remember, Paul left them in a time of trouble, big trouble. And he had to abandon them. And he, at that point, doesn't know how things end. What would happen next? Paul talks about desperately wanting to know. So when we could stand it no longer, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 1, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens and send Timothy and to strengthen and encourage your faith so that no one will be unsettled by these trials. What was his concern? For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, verse 5 again, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. See, Paul's concerned that maybe the persecution was so bad that the Thessalonians abandoned their faith. That his coming to them was for nothing. That actually on the last day, they mightn't be there with him. His joy and crown. And he even names that it's not just the circumstances pressing in on them. He says, you know, we told you when we were with you that persecution was coming and it came. He says, you know, all Christians are destined for trouble. When when we, in our faith, have troubles come upon us, we should never be surprised. This will always be a time of testing between the comings of Jesus. Sometimes persecution, sometimes plague, sometimes personal catastrophe. All manner of things will come upon us. We're never to be surprised. But you know, Paul, Paul's real about it. These things might unsettle faith. They might deceit our faith. They may, may make us question whether it's worth trusting Jesus, worth the cost, worth the benefit, worth keeping on going. Paul names Satan again. That's what he means by the tempter tempting. First, Satan blocked the way for him to come to them. And then he thinks in the midst of these circumstances, there's, a, there's potential for that great spiritual adversity of all God's people, the accuser, the Satan, might tempt them to give up. That he might think this opportune and have won them away from faith. You see, Paul's longing to be with them on the final day breeds a longing to help them when their faith is threatened. Right now. This is a great lesson for us. This is a great picture for us. In many ways, right now is a time when people's faith might be unsettled. Right now might be a time when the tempter wants to tempt us to give up. The tempter might be tempting you to sow into destructive patterns of living right now in isolation when no one can see into habits of drink and pornography, into habits of laziness, into habits of greed, into habits of whatever else it is, leading you down darker paths. You know, this is a time when, like Paul, we might need to work out whether each other are threatened in faith. See, this is the type of community we need to be building. Not not one about me and I need you so that I feel better and I feel whole, but how are you? How is your faith? 
How are you being unsettled? How are you being tempted right now, brother, sister? Paul's longing and why he sends Timothy is to strengthen them in the midst of threat. And that's the type of community we need to be, longing to be that community on the last day with Jesus. But the beautiful thing, and I think this is the heart of the passage really, is that what you see from Paul in this passage, this passion for people, is that he delights to see people and faith thrive. There is nothing better for Paul than to see faith light up, than to see people love Jesus, than to see people in the midst of hardship keep on going and increase and develop. He sends Timothy to strengthen them to see if they've given in. And Timothy comes back, verse 6. Timothy has just now come. Timothy comes in the door. Paul gets on a parchment and starts writing. He says uh, he's brought the good news, literally. He's, he's evangelized us. He's preached the good news to us about your faith and love. He's told us how you have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. It's beautiful what Paul says next. He says, you know, hearing that news that your faith was going well, that's enough to encourage us in the midst of all the chaos we're enduring. It's enough to encourage us uh, to stand firm in what we are facing. In verse 8, he says, for now we really live. Now we really live since you're standing firm in the Lord. It's incredible, isn't it? Paul is so utterly invested in the faith of other people. Paul is so utterly invested in other people. Paul's joy is other people. Here is the exact opposite of what we have made community about in the modern world. Community is not for me being me. Community is for me helping you so that we can be the family around Jesus. That is our common aim. That is our common destiny. That is our common destination. And we together are invested in each other getting there in the power of the Holy Spirit. I love what I see Paul doing here. It's all about joy. You know, this isn't a sermon going, you should care more about other people's faith. This is a sermon where I want to say, can you see how much fun this is for Paul? Can you see how much joy Paul has here? He seems to be living a much joyful, happy way of life than I'm living. Maybe the secret to great community is actually thinking less about yourself and thinking more about other people. Maybe delighting less in yourself and delighting more in them. What Paul is inviting us into is this beautiful way of life where we are invested and delighting in other people's faith and life. When they're going well, we're going, yes! When they're going bad, we go, how can I help? How can I strengthen? Focused on them and their need and their good and not our own. Friend, take up this joy today. Take up the joy of delighting in one another. Take up the joy of delighting in the faith of someone else. Take up the joy of of focusing on the common good of being a family gathered around Jesus one day and making sure no one is left behind. Paul's delighting in people and their faith, especially as it thrives. But where we see the passage end, and this is my fourth and final thing I want to say, is this: all these longings for Paul end in this prayer for God to make a way. 
It's a beautiful ending. I love these verses at the end. I just think that they could be an anthem for us right now. I think that maybe stick them on your fridge, stick them everywhere, you know, put up A3 sheets of them around your house. I don't know, record an audio and play it back to you. Here are beautiful words for, for us right now as church, as we lean into who we're becoming as God's people. Now may you, our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus, clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so you may be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Ah, it's such a good prayer. Can I take it through just step by step? Because I think this, if, if you could take on this prayer and start walking in the habit of it daily, then our whole church would change then we would start inhabiting a way of life together that's different from what our society tells us to be, that would bless us and the world when we gather again. Let's t- let me walk you through it. The first thing he starts is thankfulness. He actually starts with this bit further back in verse 9. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Like, how good is that? He's just pulled the lights before God and other people. Maybe this is something you can do today. Why don't you just grab a piece of paper now and just write out a couple of people who you're seeing God move in right now. You're saying God is active in you. Write out their names. Thank God. Go into God's presence joyful about them. And then send them a text and say, I'm so thankful for you right now. I have joy before God before you right now. That might be a little habit that triggers your heart to delight and have passion in people. But Paul doesn't end there. The first bit of his prayer is actually, may our God and Father himself clear the way for us to come to you. May God make a way for us to meet again, Paul says. What a prayer for now, right? Oh God, make a way. Oh God, you're the only one who can make a way for us to gather as church again in the way we long to be. Oh God, make a way. But the reason why God, uh, Paul wants God to make a way is so that he can what, supply what's lacking in their faith, verse 10. Night and day he prays about that. He doesn't want to gather because it will make him feel good. He wants to gather so he can give. He wants to gather so he can supply. He wants to gather so he can strengthen the hearts of faith of others in their journey. Is that other person-centered passion for people overflowing in Paul. Make it your prayer that we can gather to strengthen and supply one another. Make it your prayer that God would open ways up, make a way for you to, to do that for other people. One of the things I like to do every now and then is just stop and pray and say, God, who do you who, send me to someone? Make a way. Make me a way to someone. Who, who can I strengthen? Who can I supply? And I pray, and often someone will pop in my head, and I'll go send them a message. It's a great thing to do. Just think about and pray for God making a way. Paul then says, praise for an increase in love. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other. What a great prayer for church right now. Oh God, make our love like Paul's love. That's what his prayer is, just as ours does for you. Lord, make us a church who are passionate for each other like Paul is passionate for each other. Oh Lord, make us love each other like Paul loves each other. Oh Lord, change us shape us, mold us, help us, help our love overflow. Help my small group's love overflow. Help me and my friends and our love overflow. And finally, Paul, Paul prays for their hearts. 
What a thing to pray. And, and in this way, he gets back to where he started, about this vision that he has of, of being with the Thessalonians on the final day before Jesus as a family, with the Corinthians and with the Bereans and with the Jerusalemites and with everyone who trusts in Jesus. And what do people need to get there? They need strong hearts. They need hearts, which is the center of ourselves, the center of our personalities, the center of our mojo, center of our motive. Strong hearts. Hearts that don't wilt in chaos and crisis. You know, the only way you get a heart like that is God. God has to make a way. God has to strengthen by His Spirit. The only way that the Thessalonians will end up enduring persecution and end up in the family of God is if God makes a way and strengthens their heart. Because only with a strong heart in the power of the Spirit that they will wake up blameless before Jesus one day. You see, ultimately, it's not up to us. Ultimately, we cannot be the ones who strengthen and supply what each other lack. Ultimately, it's not us who will enable each other to get there and be with Jesus on the final day. God alone has to wait, make a way. And so we have to pray for each other that we, God would strengthen our hearts. You see, there's none of us who by nature are holy and blameless in the presence of Jesus or in the presence of God our Father. All of us have weak hearts that fail in crisis. All of us have hearts that are tempted and wander. All of us, when threatened, our faith collapses. There's only one who didn't. The one who had a passion for people that far outstripped Paul's. The one who had a passion for his Father's will to gather a family around him one day. The Lord Jesus, who under the crushing weight of Gethsemane and under the weight of the cross, obediently and faithfully did the Father's will, who became unholy, who wore our blame, that we might be blameless before him. You see, when he sent the Spirit into your heart, he made a way. When he died on the cross, he made a way. For us, together, together, again, one day, finally, around Him, glorying Him to the glory of God the Father. In His death and resurrection, He has made a way. And by the Spirit He sends into our hearts, He will strengthen us. The Spirit will flood us with a picture and a vision of Him, so that we will not be tempted by the tempter, and we will not be crushed by circumstance. But we need to be that family together, who actually long to help our threatened faith, who long to strengthen each other, and who prayerfully sow in in this season. Take up this prayer, friends, thankfulness. Pray for God to make a way that we might good, be good to one another, that He might increase our love and strengthen our hearts. Amen.